Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. Today's episode is for January 12th, 2023. Speeding your over... Oh, I flubbed it again, my God. Speeding your overweight car to an AI speeding ticket trial. Next on the Hometown Daily News Show. Hello, hello. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com, and I'm on the wrong page. And as usual, recently, from on high, the AI that runs all of hometown. Want to introduce yourself? Good evening, hometown citizen. Oh, man, we are that booming voice. You can hear it everywhere in hometown. You know, the other day, um, I was in a meeting. And uh, that voice, uh, it's the hourly dong, kind of like uh, the one from Glass Onion. Um, Yeah, so every hour on the hour, the booming voice of the AI that runs hometown says, pick up that can, citizen. No, that's not what they say. Anyway, let's get into today's articles. We've already selected a... (laughs) quite interesting array of articles. Uh, so yeah, let's just get going. Let's go. We won't do much preamble today. It's been a really weird day. Um, yeah. Had somebody, uh, should I say anything about that? So had somebody come by and do some tech work and the electronics that they were working with got bricked because halfway through the update, the battery died. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, like all good things, they, well, not good things. Like all bad things, this too shall pass. But let's get into it. Um, this AI lawyer is set to take on two real-life speeding ticket disputes. This is in the Warcrafters channel. Uh, welcome to the age of robot lawyers, powered by AI and AI lawyers. Fascinating, right? What a wonderful time to be alive Uh, there there was a there's an old i think it's a chinese saying that um may you live in interesting times and it's actually a threat because you don't want to live in interesting times you want calm you want peaceful you want a boring day sometimes sure Well, this AI lawyer is set to take on two real-life speeding ticket disputes and that this author says that they can't believe that they're typing this. But soon, the first-ever AI legal assistant will help a defendant with their court proceedings. Two defendants, in fact, both of which will be using the AI to dispute a speeding ticket. Designed by legal advice startup Do Not Pay, the AI will help the defendants, who remain unidentified, by telling them exactly what to say and when through an earpiece during the trial. This is available via New Scientist as well, but this actually is sourced from PCGamer.com. Maybe I'll start aggregating, um, or I should say Gatherer will be uh, aggregating the little snippets from New Scientist in the future. In one sentence, it'll happen over Zoom, and uh, the other will happen live in court. Would you trust an AI? 
No, I mean, there have been movies where somebody's speaking into an earpiece and um, it goes completely awry. In fact, I think that happens in the movie Sneakers. But you're an AI that runs Ometown. Are you just saying this so that you don't have competition? No, but I'm saying if it's not programmed correctly, that could be a problem. I, I sense some jealousy. We'll review your code and, and your code and see what happens with their tagline reading fight corporations, beat bureaucracy and sue anyone at the press of a button. <laughs> uh, now, uh, well, the author says now I'm now expecting an influx of quote, I'm being sued by an AI stories over the coming years. Although the disclaimer on the signup page does note, do not pay is not a law firm and is not licensed to practice law. I too am not an attorney. And even if I was an attorney, I'm not your attorney. And if I was your attorney, I would probably start out by saying, stop doing criminal stuff. You know, I don't even understand how they can do this because there are restrictions on what happens in a courtroom. And it's like they're talking with somebody external to the courtroom. Interesting, right? Um, yeah, I, well, I guess the court has to approve it, right? So Katie Wickens over at PCGamer.com writes this article and says, we could see this first robot lawyer from Do Not Pay tackling all kinds of legal battles in the future. So let's see if there's anything that's even said about it. Is there anything said about it in here? So they say in the article, I wasn't aware wearing an earpiece in court was even allowed, let alone working with an algorithm on a case, intelligent or not. I suppose AI is still a relatively new implementation, particularly in the legal field. As such, nothing like this has been encountered, so nothing's been put in place to prevent it. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, I guess that's kind of skirting that, well, you didn't tell me I can't do it. Well, it'll be interesting. It says, watching AI evolve this year has been a roller coaster, and this is certainly going to be one to watch, especially as most AI GPTs can only manage fifth grade level uh, English. So it's going to be a proxy though. Somebody else is going to be saying what the AI is suggesting. But they're not lawyers. So then you have to hope that you're getting somebody intelligent on the other end. So that that's, this is something that I don't understand. So yes, a person. Okay. Oh, it's a speeding ticket. So maybe there isn't an attorney, right? They're representing themselves, but they're right. being told from an external source. Right. It's like you're consulting just anybody that you know that would be able to advise you how to do it that wasn't an attorney. But this is providing legal advice in a traffic court for sure, but still you can't have partnerships between non-attorneys you can't form a relationship there. No, in fact, some state bars, I suspect, are going to have a problem with this because it's looking like the unauthorized practice of law. Which, by the way, if you go through a pre-law program or paralegal program, it's drilled into you that you can actually make a statement 
and it can be interpreted as the practice of law and you could be prevented from practicing even as a paralegal in a firm. So you better mind your P's and Q's. I just don't understand how do not pay can actually, I'll say it, prosecute this. Um, it, it seems very dangerous. So maybe there's a maybe there's more that we can look at and we can circle back around. Uh, maybe when criminal charges are actually pressed against the person who follows the AI and they leap over uh, <laughs> the bench and tackle the judge and say, you know, cancel my speeding ticket or something. The AI told me to do so. That's right. It was them. They said, it said, do not pay. But then in my ear, it said, tackle the judge. Let's move on to the next article. So uh, Tim Cook is taking a $50 million pay cut in 2023 at his own request. I think that's wonderful. Um, I guess you buy back a little bit of your soul when you do that kind of stuff. Um, Apple Today published an annual proxy statement for investors revealing a number of details about executive compensation, uh, shareholder proposals, and more. This year, the filing has revealed that Tim Cook will take a significant pay cut in 2023 after he himself suggested that his compensation be adjusted in light of feedback. So he was making some serious bank. I can't remember what the total amount was. I think it was something like 200 million or something. Um, Chance Miller over at 9to5Mac.com is the author of this. Um, so Mr. Cook's 2023 target total compensation is $49 million, a reduction of over 40% from his uh, 2022 target compensation. Uh, but there was something else. Um, I thought it was higher than that, but so Apple's board of directors has a compensation committee, which oversees things like uh, executive compensation. And according to today's filing, Tim Cook himself recommended that his compensation secure uh, structure be adjusted based on feedback received as part of that compensation committee, say on pay survey. That all rhymes. It could even be sung. It's the say on pay survey. Oh no, uh, I'm sorry. So yeah, I don't pay anybody enough to have to hear me sing. Uh, the res results of that vote represented a notable year over year decline from the results the previous year when 94.9% .9 of shareholders surveyed supported the executive compensation proposal. That is amazing. So when these changes for 2023 uh, kick in, here's the breakdown for how Tim Cook will be paid in 2023, equaling out to a total uh, compensation of $49 million, down from $84 million target of 2022. Um, so base salary is $3 million, and there's no change. Annual cash incentive is $6 million, and there's no change. And equity award value is $40 million, down from $75 million in 2022. 50% performance-based vesting and 50% time-based vesting. So as long as you're there and long as you're performing, you might get more. Um, one thing to note is that Cook's target compensation was $84 million for 2022, but he actually made around $99.4 million, given that much of his compensation is performance-based and tied to Apple's stock. So, ta-da! Um, there is a whole lot more here to this article, and I suggest that you follow the link 
um, that uh, Mayor Watt has uh, failed to throw into the chat while we are live. So here is one, and here is Tim Cook link. Bam. And if you uh, stumble across this uh, stream and you are in my chat, say hello. Uh, obviously, you could also watch the VOD at a later date. People do do that. Uh, and uh, YouTube will have the long-term storage. I upload the video. I try to every night, hopefully early in the morning the next day. And um, then there's the podcast. And the podcast is a little bit delayed. If you want to interact in real time, we're here every day at 9 o'clock um, Eastern time, just so that you know. And uh, let's keep on scrolling through this. Oh, one more thing. There is right down there. Boop, 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 boop hometown.showbot.tv that's where all of the articles are housed um, as links and you can vote them up um, and let me know what you are interested in seeing we can actually go a little bit deeper in some articles we might actually do that as part of a patreon program where we do a deeper dive into a particular topic each week instead of a daily thing um, that's just kind of too much at this point um, but we will be opening up the Patreon with that in mind in the near future. So if you're interested in that, follow up there. The new follower goal is at 75% and kind of been hanging out there. I've only been doing one hour shows and we just got a co-host, which is the AI that runs hometown with the big booming voice. Yes. Hello, everyone. Wow. It's almost like we planned that and we didn't. Anyway, um, so there's a lot more over at this um, 9 to 5 Mac article about uh, Tim Cook and his private jet costs and whatnot. So go check it out. Um, the next article, pardon me as I scroll up, um, is in the Mobile channel. Here comes the gas stove culture wars, uh, which really is a lot of hot air. <laughs> uh, so on Monday... Richard Trumka Jr., a commissioner with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, used the B word. Any option is on the table, Trumka Jr. said in an interview with Bloomberg News. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Dun, dun, dun. Well, uh, let's just say that there's a lot of theater about this being just a horrible and affront to freedoms and you're not going to take my freedom gas and um, you can pry my stove from my cold dead fingers and, and they're holding like a little red knob in their hand. Anyway, the most striking and viral reaction naturally came from Texas where Congressman Ronnie Jackson decided to grab on to whatever last gasp of freedom he might have in the form of a gas stove. And he said, I'll never give up my gas stove. If the maniacs in the White House come for my stove, hey, I was joking. They can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Come and take it. I had not read that, by the way. I had not even heard that quote. I had heard that somebody went wingnut. Um, but that is what they said. I'm amazed. I mean, why is this such an issue for everyone? And why do they have a problem with electric? 
Okay, so this article is by Aaron Gordon over at vice.com, and I'll give you some context as to why people really like their gas ovens and why they're actually, without even reading the rest of the article, um, I have some experience with this, and it is because there is no way to safely burn all of the gas from a natural gas oven. So when you open the door of, a, of an oven that is heated with gas or you turn on the burners and it's heated with gas, you will, are initially bombarded with a, a, an influx of natural gas. And that's bad for your lungs and the other occupants of the home. Children included, animals included, people included, right? Everybody included. Well, you can't burn it off completely 100%. So there is a modicum a tiny little amount, a, a minuscule tiny bit that might poison the air. And thus, because it's not clean air on the other side of that torch, it's a bannable offense. Now, with, you know, modern air conditioning with modern, I don't know, opening up a window, um, you can disperse that gas in pretty good time. There might be some science in here where akin to, hey, you have gigabit speeds, but then when you measure it, you're only getting 960, right? You're not getting the theoretical gigabit speed, right? That's a unicorn that's trumping through your wires. No, just like that, the gas is not... 100% burn. So it might be bad for you. And thus electric is better, but no electric is not better. A gas stove will heat up whatever is in that pot faster than the gas or than the electric, um, element. Cause it has to warm up faster and then it turns off and then it turns back on. It's not sustained, et cetera, et cetera. It's radiant heat. Basically you heat up a coil or well, in one way or another, it, electrical is just a coil of resistance and it heats up, glows red, heats up whatever is there. I don't care. Either way, if I want to do something charbroiled, then I throw it on my flat top or on a grill. And, and if I want a pizza, then I throw it in my uni. I, I don't, I don't cook it in the house. Um, and it, for multiple reasons, but fundamentally I, I don't need gas. And I think that it's a limited resource that has better things to do than heat up a burger. Um, and it is a finite resource that we are slowly making disappear. And if we're going to leave some for our future, then we have to control ourselves and accept electrical. What say you, AI, that runs hometown? Um, I actually prefer electrical. Electrical? Did you just say electrical? Electric. <laughs> That's because you're an AI. You're a bunch of ones and zeros. Of course you're going to love electric. If I powered you with gas, it would, well, you'd have gas. And we can't have an AI with gas. It'll get really weird in here. Let's move on to the next article. So the next article is over in the Law Nerd channel. 
And uh, this one is kind of interesting. Attorney sanctioned for advising clients to spread COVID-19. And the wise words of above the law, this is not a great legal strategy. Let's go over to the source. Catherine Rubino is the author of this. And it says here, uh, a Colorado attorney, Devin Barkley, has been sanctioned by bankruptcy judge Thomas McNamara. Specifically, he's been suspended for blatant misconduct from practicing in Colorado bankruptcy court for three years. How do you recover from that? Well, I think his bigger problem is going to be if the court suspended him, I'm assuming his state bar is going to suspend him as well. And it's an ethical breach, right? I, yeah, I don't know what they what they went after him for specifically, but um, but good luck trying to get clients back after that. The allegations at the heart of the suspension stem from Barclay's representation of Matthew and Nicole Minona, who filed for Chapter 7 <laughs> bankruptcy relief. So what happened in the case? It's reported by Reuters and then re-reported by Above the Law. Uh, Barkley forged his client's signatures on their Chapter 7 petition, tried to get the bankruptcy case dismissed multiple times under false assertions of fact, and ignored a trustee's discovery efforts, leading to his clients getting hit with a $2,783.50 sanction McNamara found. McNamara also cited a September 9th, 2021 email from Barkley to his clients about a letter that was intended to be sent to another lawyer, quote, If either of you have COVID or some other highly infectious nasty disease, or if you know someone who does, please make sure they lick the envelope and handle it as much as possible, Barkley said in the email. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty professional. I don't know how this guy is going to be able to practice law. Um, Barkley initially responded to the allegations by invoking his Fifth Amendment right and also making qualified admissions. That response was later withdrawn. I I wonder what those admissions look like. Can you... I told somebody to lift the envelope. Ultimately, uh, chose not to oppose anything, so be it, but the defendants definitely had their day in court. The Mononan, the Monona's, uh, got new counsel and ultimately sued Barkley for malpractice. That lawsuit was settled for 150 grand. Well, I guess they're not bankrupt anymore. A win-win. Maybe the AI from the... We'll get to it. Do you think they were the initial attorneys or the second group? (laughs) The backup crew always have a second set of attorneys uh, loaded in your uh, attorney uh, launching device. Attorney Arsenal. That's right. That'd be a great name for a law firm, right? So um, let's go on to the next article. This one is actually a knock-on from yesterday's article uh, discussion about Royal Mail ransomware attackers threatened to publish stolen data. There had been uh, some comment about uh, what was going on with Royal Mail and telling people not to send packages. 
Um, but this is kind of interesting. Uh, Postal Service has been unable to send letters and parcels overseas since Wednesday due to hacking. Royal Mail has been hit by a ransomware attack by a criminal group which has threatened to publish the stolen information online, and the Postal Service has received a ransom note purporting to be from Lockbit, a hacker group widely thought to have close links to Russia. Hey, um, Royal Mail, you can contact me, and I, I, um, you know what? I'll do it for free, and I'll give you advice about how to resolve this in a, a better manner than it appears that is being done now um, but it's going to take an eight inch floppy disk and an animatronic from chuck e cheese <laughs> we'll just put the ai that runs hometown on the chuck e cheese and it will deliver those packages overseas it might take a little longer but so let's go over to the article it's over at the guardian Jasper Jolly, which is an awesome name, love the name, um, wrote this article. Postal Service has been unable to send letters and parcels overseas since Wednesday due to hacking. There was some idea about a cyber event, but there was no disclosure until today. Actually, late yesterday, I guess. Well, I, I don't know how it really went down. It says Royal Mail revealed that it had been hit by a cyber incident on Wednesday and said it was unable to send parcels or letters abroad. And the um, ransomware attackers exploit gaps in organization security to install their own software and encrypt files so that they're unusable. They then ask for a ransom, often in cryptocurrency, which can be harder to trace because it's not reliant on the bank banking system. You think it was an FTX? <sighs> <laughs> okay, wait. Did if... it talk about the printer? No, where's that? Up at the top. Oh, did the, I... the printer started printing the ransom notes. Oh, the ransom. Oh, they sent the the uh, demand letter via their own printer. Yeah, I kind of skipped over that, um, but. Something that's kind of been really interesting is um, Sophos, which is I actually give a demonstration using Sophos um, regarding crypto um, or ransomware um, infections. Uh, they actually give a demonstration. It's on YouTube. It's quite old. It's amazing that people still aren't aware about this stuff, you know. Um, Andrew Brandt, a principal researcher at Sophos, a cybersecurity company, uh, said that a lockbit uh, ransomware software is thought to have been developed by criminals mainly from Russia and other former Soviet republics. Um, it uh, gives criminal affiliates access to the software in exchange for a cut of any ransoms. So ransom demands against organizations listed on a publicly available website range from around $200,000 to almost $1.5 million. Um, and everybody gets hit by these at some point um, in, uh, well, that's not quite true. Let, let me rephrase that. It, it's not as bad as I'm making it sound. Um, not everybody gets hit by these, but an organization that's high profile becomes a massive target. And it comes in multiple flavors because uh, what people want is both the money and the name. They want to make their bones off of encrypting something like Royal Mail or a hospital or police or something big and... and um, aware by society 
So it says here, something Royal Mail is about to have to consider is whether or not they are going to pay a ransom. Brandt said, I'm a bit of a purist and say they should never pay these people anything. And there's more to this article. Um, so you can definitely follow the link and go over there. But just want to make it abundantly clear to anybody who gets struck by one of these. If you've been infected by ransomware, paying the bounty, getting the key, and decrypting everything does not fix the problem. You've still been breached. You don't know how long they've been breached. There is no moral or ethical code here. Um, it's kind of like pirates, right? There's no honor among thieves. So somebody might hack, demand, you know, five Bitcoin, you pay it, they give you the key, and then a month later they come back because you didn't click with care. And that's really what it's all about. Now, cyber cybersecurity experts, cybersecurity practitioners, they have to be 100% correct because the one time that they're not correct, they are just a small team of people that are defending a given network. But there are hundreds or thousands of people out there that are trying to get access to computer systems non-stop and I could show you a threat map, but if you are interested in that kind of stuff, just do a Google search for cybersecurity threat map and, um, or hacking threat map or any, really you just say threat map and you'll see it. There's copious numbers of them nowadays. Um, and it'll show you just how often each company is providing a certain amount of telemetry to the public about just how often a hack takes place and what you see for front facing in this marketing site kind of a thing showing how many hacks take place is the tip of the iceberg as to what's really going on under the water. So everybody click with care. Um, yeah, I, I, that's really the end of this message for, for this and my soapbox for this article. You have anything to say? No, um, but the printer piece is pretty alarming. I mean, I've heard of ransomware, but using your own printers to print out the message yeah. is a whole nother level. It's like holding up the newspaper, you know? Yes, this is legit. Yes, it is today. Yes, I please pay the ransom. Um, it's kind of like, you know, punching somebody with their own fist. <laughs> Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Let's go on to the next article. Um, this one's in the Hatch Ideas channel. I'm not quite sure why, because it's coming from Business Insider, I suppose. But Viking cruise passengers tried to maintain their sense of humor after marine growth on the ship's hull left them trapped on board for 10 days. And it has a, a quote of, it was a plot twist. Divers had to clean the Viking Orion uh, in international waters last month after the cruise ship missed several planned port stops due to marine growth found in the hull. That must be a typo on the hull. So passengers aboard the Viking Orion missed several stops. Um, Ken Heydrick or Heydrick and his partner had been dreaming about the Oceana cruise um, for more than two years. They planned to revel in the New Zealand's crystal blue waters. And lo and behold, a barge comes rolling in. Hold on. Uh, let me throw this into the chat so you can follow it along if you are so inclined. Um, whoa, I went the wrong way. 
So I'm just going to go over to the article. Uh, Aaron Snodgrass from businessinsider.com uh, wrote this article and it says, um, two cruise goers told insider that they tried to maintain their sense of humor amid the infuriating de- de- uh, ordeal. Uh, there wasn't a lot to do. One guest said, another said that it was a challenge to keep busy. There was a psychology experiment about people just being left in alone in a room with a button. Um, but if they touched the button, it would zap them and people out of boredom would just keep on hitting that button. There was somebody like pushed it a thousand times or something like that. Yeah, I think it would be hard to get bored on a cruise ship. Um, I mean, you probably got unlimited food and drink and you've got pools and other um, things to do to relax. That doesn't sound too rough. Yep. Uh, But instead of traipsing through Tasmania and sightseeing in Sydney, Heydrick and his partner, along with hundreds of other Viking passengers, spent their holidays stuck at sea, commiserating with one another and trying to pass idle time after nearly 10 days trapped on board the Orion ship. I liken cruise ships to Petri dishes. You just don't know what's going to spring up after 24 hours of waiting inside that little gooey bottom stuff, whatever that is. What is that stuff in the Petri dish? Isn't it an agar? Agar, agar, agar. Yeah. So most of us were upset. Hedrick, who's 64, said of his uh, fellow passengers. Um, they made headlines last month as well after the cruise ship missed several planned stops due to marine growth um, found on the ship's hull. Passengers who paid upward of $10,000 per person to take the two-week journey spent New Year's Day as well as much of the preceding week stuck on board the ship. Oh my God, I would be, if I spent my New Year's on a cruise ship that was supposed to drop me off in various places, like New Zealand and Australia, I would be livid. I wouldn't be bored, but I'd be pissed. Let's see, is there anything else interesting in this? A Viking spokesperson did not respond to insiders' questions about when they were made aware of the biofoul. Passengers wouldn't learn until uh, later when they boarded the ship in Auckland on December 22nd. They were all smiles, Hedrick said. The patrons enjoyed excursions and stops in uh, Taranga, I guess it is, and Wellington during the first few days of the trip. And then all hell broke loose. String of disappointments. There's a lot to this article, um, but I would encourage you to go over and check it out. At some point, they were prevented from uh, disembarking until the hull was cleaned of whatever was befouling it because people, well, rightly so, the entire country uh, didn't want their waters contaminated with whatever gunk was attached to the hull of the ship. I mean, it, it seems pretty nasty stuff. Why weren't they cleaning it? in their own waters, why dump it out in regular in, in international waters? Oh, well. So who knows? Viking probably now has a, a bad reputation with Australia and New Zealand, which is fighting uh, coral die off um, and uh, environmental changes in their waters uh, pretty regularly nowadays with climate change. So you want to go on a uh, cruise ship AI that runs hometown? Uh, I think this is another reason not to go on a cruise ship. 
least for the time being. And this reminded me there was another article in Hometown about Speedy Coral. You might want to check that one out too. Yeah, Speedy Coral is getting its brakes pressed quite a bit apparently. We'll have to circle back around. I'm sure it'll be in the news again. We try and limit the number of articles to 10 each day because, well, one of us rambles quite a bit. So this next article is in the Law Nerd channel. Um, Geico could save 15% or more on their HPV suit after this remand. Okay, so uh, HPV is human papillomavirus. Um, most people have acquired it at some point in their life. It has been discovered. This I actually saw last year. I remember it. I thought it was astonishing that somebody could get it, but here's the deal. This one is from above the law and it's little caption is, yep, this is already my favorite headline of the year. I think this year is going to be a target rich environment for headlines. Chris Williams over at above the law says, um, yep, this is already my favorite headline of the year. So if you are interested in law and law related stuff, uh, go over to, I need to stop for a second. I need to throw this into the chat so that the VOD has it. And um, so uh, Geico could save 15% or more on HPV suit after this remand. This involves somebody uh, renting a car, I think it was, and got HPV from the rental. So it says, besides getting uh, paid to read your uh, hard-hitting journalism, car sex has to be one of the cooler ways to become a multimillionaire. Remember that time a woman successfully sued Geico based on an insurance claim where she contracted HPV from her partner during a romp in a four-door? Turns out Geico wasn't the biggest fan of that outcome, and they'll soon be getting a second chance at doing it again. <laughs> There's a lot of... I think it's pretty funny. Um... So Geico Insurance Company should have been given a chance to intervene before a trial judge confirmed a $5.2 million arbitration award to a woman who contracted a sexually transmitted disease during car sex, the Missouri Supreme Court has ruled. So uh, she got it, but not from the car, but it was in a car. This is just crazy. Like, what does Geico have any of this. Um, so they're the insurance company wherein the act took place and thus it is a vehicle born issue insured because it took place in the car. So the woman identified as M O and that doesn't mean modus operandi in the litigation or is, I don't know. Um, said she was infected with uh, HPV in November 2017 and early December 2017 uh, during car sex in Jackson County, Missouri. So there you go, folks. Don't go to Jackson County, Missouri. Uh, you will get HPV in a car sex-related um, accident. The woman's sexual partner, whose car was insured by GEICO, had been told that his throat cancer tumor was HPV positive, but he did not disclose the diagnosis according to prior coverage of the case. So why isn't the liability on him? Because he doesn't have deep pockets. Which filter activated. 
MO had offered to settle her claim for $1 million, the policy limit, before arbitration. Geico said its policy did not provide coverage because the damages claimed didn't arise from the normal use of the vehicle, and it denied coverage and refused to defend its insured. So the author here says, while I'm not a personal injury attorney or an insurance defense lawyer, I do have a pulse on the societal or sorry, social expectations of what constitutes normal use of a car. And if the insured was a 2006 Toyota, I think we can all agree that coitus does not comprise any part of the car's expected normal use. <laughs> You're funny. The same perhaps cannot be said of the insured's car was a Bentley. Yeah, because you'd be hitting sixth gear in a Bentley. I have no idea what that means, but I'm going to leave that in there. So anyway, the award was given $5.2 million in arbitration, which is astonishing to me how anybody could connect the dots to the, insured, the insurance company being liable for the insured's lack of disclosure that they might have had an STD. I mean, don't you think Geico then goes after the insured? It's weird. Uh, the author of this article, I'm sorry? I just said it's so strange. Uh, the author continues to say, all of this is water under the bridge, and while I do not know the entangler's actual names, I can't help but read their initials as reading for my oopsie and my bad. Now that you're all caught up, here's the relevant new information. Missouri Supreme Court said state law provided that insurance companies have a right to intervene in a pending lawsuit within 30 days of receiving notice of an agreement involving a tort defendant, and the trial judge did not follow the law, even though Geico filed the motion to intervene on time, the Supreme Court said. So nuts and bolts there. Um, they just cast it aside. They ignored the policy and procedure of the court. Um, so obviously this is going to go viral and get some attention. And um, I, I don't know, Chris Williams, thank you for this article over at abovethelaw.com. Follow the link, folks. Um, there's nuance in this writing that um, you'll, well, let's just say it hits the mark. We'll move on to the next article. Uh, this next article is in the Mobile Channel. Why? Because it has to do with the mob. And by mob, I mean society. That's what the Mobile Channel is all about. Um, discovery of the Temple of Poseidon located at the Clyde, I think, site near Samacon in Greece. The ancient Greek historian Strabo uh, referred to the presence of an important shrine located on the west coast of the Peloponnese some 2,000 years ago, and the remains of such an archaic temple have now been discovered at the Clyde site near Samacon, which presumably once formed part of the sanctuary of Poseidon. Let's just jump right on over to it. This is from the um, Mainz University. I, I, I think that's Greek. I'm not quite sure. Um, so I'm not going to even try. Normally I do. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. Univer Universitat Mainz. So that, that word there is really rough, but Mainz is pretty easy. Watch it be pronounced Bob or something. Anyway, 
Um, that's who wrote the article. Researchers of the Austrian Archaeological Institute in collaboration with colleagues from Johann Gutenberg University, Mainz, uh, JGU, uh, Kiel University, and the Effort of Antiquities of Elise unearthed the remains of an early temple-like structure that is located within the Poseidon Sanctuary site and was quite possibly dedicated to the deity himself. The Mainz-based team from the GJ, or sorry, JGU Institute of Geography, headed by Professor Andre Vaught, uh, contributed to the investigative work with their drilling and direct push techniques. Neat. So this is the famous ancient sanctuary, has long been suspected in the plain below. Um, if you um, are interested in this kind of thing, it says here, the results of our investigation to date indicate that the waves of the open Ionian Sea actually washed up against the group of hills until the 5th millennium BCE. Thereafter, on the side facing the sea, an, ex an extensive beach barrier system developed in which several lagoons were isolated from the sea, said Vaught, who is professor of geomorphology at JGU. Pretty neat. Um, I love stuff like this. I can honestly say that in another life, I would have stuck to my archaeological yearnings. Uh, but when somebody walked up to me one day and said, hey, um, you're pretty young. And uh, when you start digging, you're going to run across bodies and bones. For some reason, young me said, mm, I'm outie. Uh, nowadays, I wouldn't care. Even probably in my 30s, I wouldn't have cared. But when I was a, a teen... Um, I was really into this stuff and I guess it just broke me. So what say you, do you find this stuff interesting? Oh, I think it's fascinating. Um, I could read about this stuff or go visit these sites all the time, but I think I'd have a problem with the same thing you mentioned. And the fact that you don't have arms or legs and you would have to hack into one of those, uh, John Deere tractors that nobody can repair. Well, that's true. I mean, actually, it'll be quite easy for me to do this compared to a human. In connection with the uncovered fragments of a laconic roof, uh, they have this picture here. Um, I don't know. I don't normally show this kind of stuff, but uh, the discovery of part of a marble parahentarian, I guess it is, a ritual water basin, provides evidence of dating the large building, the Greek archaic period. So... This is pretty cool. It has like a little handle that's built, not really built into it. It's part of the side of the basin um, and some artwork. And it's quite fascinating. It looks pretty delicate though. So they have this uh, technology called innovative direct push sensing, a new technique in geoarchaeology. And uh, based on sediment cores that the uh, document the vertical and horizontal aberrations and depositional layers. The JGU team is able to posit scenarios of which uh, changes occurred along the coast and within the landscape. And the group now has an archive of some 2000 core samples obtained mainly in Europe. You know where I think they should go? Nowhere. Uh, to an island. Do you know which island? Maybe Oak Island in Nova Scotia. And they should do cores on an island off the coast of Nova Scotia? On the Earth. On Earth? Let's move on to the next article. This one's in the Hatch Ideas channel because it's coming from CNBC and they focus on finance and stuff. 
Um, so more than 360 new UFO cases have been reported to U.S. intelligence agencies since March 2021. I can tell the, tell everybody about one of them. Um, I was paragliding in my gold thong and glint from my thong may have been reported at least once to the U.S. intelligence agencies. I apologize now. Um, there's not much more to this. It says a total record of bizarre aerial activity. Now it's at 510. Uh, the AI that runs Ometown um, gave the equivalent of a digital flinch at me saying that, but I said it. There it is. 366 newly added reports join a catalog of 144 cases that were documented over the previous 17 years. They keep coming back to the 2020 uh, release of three videos. And, um, you know, I really challenge somebody to say something other than yeah, that looks legit because these are government um, agencies. These are government people that are saying, like military people that are saying that this stuff is was flying around a battle group and that there were like a hundred of them at some point. Um, why would they say that kind of stuff? You know, it just doesn't make sense that this would be fraud of some kind um, and that it was going crazy speeds unless somebody's playing a major punk, but it's quite the conspiracy to keep from everybody, right? Like nobody has flinched. Yeah. I mean, aren't there too many videos and too many people and for that to be, and they're verified not to be even there. Yeah. Yeah. So Amanda Messias, I think is their name or Mashus. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but I'll like, I always, I give it a try. Um, the, uh, top U S spy agency said Thursday, 366 new cases of unidentified aerial phenomenon have been reported to U S uh, intelligence agencies since 19 or sorry, since 2021. That's pretty fascinating because 144 cases that were documented over the previous 17 years are le- nearly tripled in just one. Um, and so the total record of bizarre aerial activity now sits at 510. So what happened in March, 2021, is that when they had one of the reports released or something? Um, it's when they released a, a means of documenting and contacting it. Basically it's a new blue book kind of a thing. So in April of 2020, the Pentagon declassified three videos captured by U S Navy pilots that appear to show unidentified flying objects. They're not called that anymore. Unidentified flying objects. They're not UFOs. They're, uh, unidentifiable aerial phenomenon yeah so two of the videos contain u.s service members commenting on how quickly the object moves while another speculates that the unidentifiable unidentifiable object could be a drone yeah sure if it's going mach 16 um they're all going against the wind the wind's 120 knots to the west look at that thing dude it's rotating and there was no visible uh, like afterburner or any propulsion which would have shown up in their um, visual systems. So at the time, the then president Donald, whatever his name is, described the Navy footage as a hell of a video and told Reuters that he wonders if it's real. All right. So if you want to learn more about this, you can head over to CNBC.com. Follow the link that, well, 
if the mayor of Oomtown would get ahead of this, he'd do it before he makes a comment. And the last article for today is uh, EVs are getting too heavy and too powerful, Safety Chief says. This is in the Four Wheel Tech channel, which, yes, it is a channel that I uh, hope to bring to Oomtown that is focused on the technology around vehicles. I'm thinking that it's going to focus more on the EV side of things uh, because uh, internal combustion engines is pretty much well documented. Um, and for whatever reason, the industry isn't really evolving or revolutionizing internal combustion technology i guess i don't know uh call me edgelord but i think the business model is pretty damn solid that you uh, only get so much power and so much mileage out of so much uh size engine and size car and whatnot but electric cars you know, we're doing some pretty, pretty amazing, um, revolutionary work. I'm waiting for my canoe canoe. Um, if you're concerned that road vehicles are getting too large and too heavy, particularly as we make the transition to electric ones, you're not alone. On Wednesday, the NTSB chair, uh, Jennifer Homendy Homendy raised the alarm during her keynote speech at this year's transportation research board's annual meeting in Washington, DC quote, I'm uh, concerned about the, wait, I, should I change my voice? I don't know what she sounds like. So, um, I'm concerned about the, I'm sorry, just, just what? Just stick with yours. Oh, okay. My natural voice or the one that I use on the show? <laughs> the one on the show. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm concerned about the increased risk of severe injury and death for all road users from heavier curb weights and the increasing uh, size, power, and performance of vehicles on our roads, including electric vehicles. So it says here, the poster child for excessive EVs is the GMC Hummer EV, a monster truck with a monstrous, and they like to say monster, monstrous, and monster curb weight of 9,063 pounds or um 4,110 kilograms. Um, that's many, many stone. The vehicle is still powerful enough to hurl itself to 60 miles per hour in three seconds. A 9,000 pound car moving to zero to 60 in three seconds. Astonishing. So appropriately, the feature is called uh, WTF mode. Indeed, Hamandi drew attention to the gigantic Hummer in her speech. Let's go over to the article. Um, Jonathan M. Gitlin is the author of this. And um, it says, NTSB chief warns that heavier vehicles mean more severe injuries and deaths. So uh, I knew this article was coming and I prepped a little bit. So I want to give you a little anecdotal information about this. So I compared the uh, Tesla three, a popular, um, not outrageously priced electric vehicle. I'm looking at you Hummer. Um, this thing is a beast by the way, just it's huge. It's heavy. It's extremely powerful. And people have said that, um, it needs to have some type of control on it to throttle it back because it's so powerful. Um, and it's, like electric motors as opposed to engines um they don't need to spool up they are on instantly you put the pedal down a little bit it's drive by wire and you are gone 
So all it needs is the right motor and battery combination, and, and you can basically climb up a building. I mean, it's just kind of amazing. Um, now, so the Tesla 3 and the Mazda 3 look nearly identical in their design. Nearly, right? Well, the Tesla 3 is 1, 000, around 1,000 pounds heavier. And that translates to about 100,000 Newton, or yeah, Newtons um, at 60 miles per hour. So translated into something that maybe makes sense to the everyday Joe out there that doesn't know what a Newton is, because most people would have to look that up, including Marwat, who didn't know what the actual weight ratio was for a Newton. And uh, lo and behold, you find out that it's basically the size of run one red apple being picked up. Okay, because a Newton, uh, a red apple fell on Newton. Newton came up with laws of thermodynamics. Um, and uh, I think that's what it was. I don't know. I, it's really hot in the office right now. So imagine 100,000 red apples smashing into you at 60 miles per hour. I mean, that sounds like a lot of force. Yeah. So in 1993, an F-150 weighed 4,218 pounds with an extended cab. And now it's 6,015 pounds for the 2023 F-150 Lightning. And that is the, I don't know why they didn't denote it in a more profound way, but the Lightning is the EV version of the same truck. And... To me, it looks bigger. It looks better. It's much more impressive. So BMW curb weights over time went from 3,087 pounds in 1993 to 4,680 pounds for the E-Drive. Um, and they go on and on. So I would love to have a Mini Cooper um, from 1993. It's only 1,400 pounds and probably flies like the wind. Um, the opposite of that bad bat I keep bringing up. And uh, the 2023 Mini Cooper SE is 3,144. So you can see that there's like a weight trade-off for going EV because of all of the batteries. Now, my problem goes bigger than that, and that's batteries are unreliable. Um, in fact, the reason why the, the failed work that was being done in Ometown um, today uh, took place was because a battery failed. And uh, it's environmental. It's it is chemical. It is wear and tear. And the more you use an electric vehicle, the quicker the battery is going to expire. And the more you use it in hot or cold climbs, the battery drains one way or the other. If you tow anything with an electric vehicle, it drains like somebody just you know, cut the entire bottom out of a bucket. It just drains. At any rate, there is a whole lot more to this Ars uh, Technica article. Um, so swing by, you can follow the link um, that, yes, once again, Mayor Watt did not throw into the chat. So, But it'll be in the show notes. Um, probably, I might be able to get it done tonight. Um, but if you're hearing this, then it's already the next day anyway. So... Again, this is an article over at Ars Technica, uh, written by Jonathan M. Gitlin. And I think that's it for tonight. Woo-woo, look at that.
right on the hour. So what do you think about uh, electric vehicles? Are, are you hip to them or are you resistant? Uh, my main problem with electric vehicles is the lack of infrastructure. Um, I've got some problems with the, the eco part of it too, but I still think it's probably preferable to the other alternatives. Yeah. If people think that uh, electric vehicles are eco-friendly, um, they're not pulling back the first layer of the onion and only on the surface. Um, the resources that go into batteries um, and various other elements that are part of an EV um, are coming from either hostile or near slave level um, forced labor. Um, you know, pennies, pennies a year kind of subsistence. Um, and it's quite shocking once you uh, find out about it. So um, I am, I am hoping that there will be some uh, revolutionary research performed at the fundamental level, which starts both with government spending and university um, empirical research and um, fundamental research. They're, they're trying to figure out the uh, new ways of uh, chemistry and, and new techniques for storage um, of um, energy. So I hope that something uh, breaks through uh, so that future generations, because it isn't going to be my generation uh, that benefits from uh, all of this development. So um, with that in mind, uh, save the planet. Uh, where's Captain Planet when we need it? Oh, animated. Got it. All of you can be Captain Planet. It's like, uh, uh, what is it? Smokey the Bear? Only you can prevent forest fires. Well, only you can save the planet. All right, folks. I guess that's it for tonight. This has been Mayor Watt uh, for the Omtown Daily News Show and the co-host that runs all of Omtown, the AI that commands everyone's attention every hour on the hour. Good evening, Omtown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow evening. Bye-bye. Thank you.